Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This week, in a first for the big nose, I sat down and had a chat with a very special guest. This week on the show, I chatted with Kieran Byrne. Kieran gave me an insight to growing up in Dublin and how much of a homebird he really is. Kieran reflects on meeting Denise with the help of live music played in his front living room by an Oscar-winning musician. But you'll have to listen to find out who that was. I listened to Kieran as he shared how he went from marriage in May of 2018 to level 7 in the matter public in early 2019, after getting one of those phone calls. Kieran and I reflect on the importance of two things that we equally find important, manifesting positivity and a good old chat. And of course, me and Kieran look towards the future in a post-COVID world where anything will be possible. So sit back, relax and enjoy our chat on The Big Nose. Hello and welcome to The Big Nose. I'm delighted to have with me Kieran Bourne. Uh, hello Kieran, how are you keeping you well? Good, thank you. In terms of introducing yourself, there's no. I always say there's no one better to introduce themselves than the person themselves. I think the best thing to do is always go back to roots and I suppose where you're from. I'm a... I'm a dub, um, obviously, um, and I live in Glasnevin. Um, I come from a family of seven, um, and we're very, very close. So there's uh, five boys and two girls. I'm the second youngest. My father passed away when I was 12 from cancer, and, you know, he was an amazing man. We were very close, um, and, and I think that closeness that he instilled in us and my mother um, what what she did for us in the years that followed, um, and to this day, of course, um, has really instilled kind of those family values that are very very important. So, yeah, I mean, I I I you know if I I haven't strayed too far from Glasnevin, and I I got a, a education in Saint Vincent's there opposite the cemetery, and I went to college in DCU. So, so you didn't stray too. Late. You kept it fairly local, huh? Support local, stay local. Yeah. Vincent's to DCU, I yeah. Did. There's no getting rid of me, and um, you know it's funny because a lot of my family live around Glasnevin too. So, um, so we're really, you know, quite local. Yeah, in that regard. So went to DCU, did a degree in computer applications, and then literally the day I graduated, I started my first business with my brother uh, Andrew, and uh, I've kind of been self-employed since right up to the present day. So you're always like like being in control, I suppose. It takes a certain type of individual, I suppose. You'd be probably, I'd probably class you as an entrepreneur. Then you know, if you you start your own business and you come straight out of college, I think, is is there a certain type of personality trait or you know characteristic that drives a person like yourself to be, you know, your own boss or or self-employed? Yeah, you know what I th- I think there is. I think that um you've got to have um you know an appetite for um risk. You've got to be have an appetite for uh, persistence and, and sheer stubbornness at times. But half my, well, most of my family um, would, would be employed, say, and, and, and they wouldn't really fancy taking that risk. But I've, I really haven't known any different myself. So, but it, it does, it, re, it requires a certain, um, I guess, fuel on life and, and, and fuel on risk in order to um, go out and do your own thing. And accepting failure, I suppose, is something that is 
is a lot of people don't like the word failure and they kind of, you know, get frightened of the word failure and, and don't like to be seen as a failure. And I suppose as an entrepreneur, as a self-employed person, you have to accept that everything you touch doesn't necessarily turn to gold and, and there will be that failure along the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I've had a lot of failures and uh, most of what you touch won't turn to gold. Like it's, you will probably have more failures than you will have uh, successes. Um, and some of those failures would be small. I mean, you could have a failure on a daily basis, like on, on a particular day with something you've been working on, to a bigger failure where a project hasn't worked or a company doesn't work out. So yeah, failure is part and parcel of it, and, and you have to be prepared to just accept that that's part of the the what you've taken on, and uh, and and be prepared to get back up and go again. Yeah, and I, I, I was just as as I was saying, I was doing a bit of research on yourself, and you know, obviously you were on RTE TV doing getting a lovely garden done in your house, and from that I learned yeah. you actually built your own house, or or designed yeah, well, and managed that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, the, the, the house situation, so my family, I mean, when I talk about living local, um, my, my family home is actually uh, beside me here. Um, and, and so um, I had bought, right at the, at the top of the, the, the Celtic Tiger years, I bought um, the back garden of the, the neighbour's um, land. It was quite a long garden, and which ran parallel to my family home and um i i built my own home um so right beside my mother and uh would you believe my sister then did the same on the other side uh and so now my poor wife denise is stuck between my sister and my my mother so uh you know she's the she's the patience of a saint to put up with that <laughs> well i i know the feeling like um my parents both grew up on the road um where they met each other they lived in number 16 and number 19 that's where they're from in Kulak and they decided that it would be a good idea to buy the house five doors down from my dad's mother so I know the feeling of living on top of family and I've had two sets yeah. of grandparents living on my own road within 10 to, 10 to 5 doors away uh, and now my sister is in the position where she, I think she wants to, to move my parents out of the house have it herself and, and put them in put them into a right, yeah. yeah so she like I think it's it's and if you look at the, the road that I grew up on a lot of people did the same they didn't move, move too far and I think that kind of builds into the Irishness and the, and, and the sense of family I suppose now moving on from that and obviously you met your beautiful your beautiful wife now uh, uh, Denise uh, was that back yeah. in college or when was it when did you when did you and Denise meet up and and how did you know she yeah, was the so, one so so Denise would kill me because I'm never quite precise with, with times but um I, it, 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 I think we're gonna 10 years this year um and it was, it was true actually mutual friends we we kind of both frequented McGowan Serpent Fisper lovely yeah and uh, we would know the McGowan family quite well and and uh, one of the, the cousins Glenn McGowan um who actually uh runs Scholars Hotel up in Drogheda and Peggy Murr's um pub I think but uh but Glenn um would have been Paddy with us both and he introduced us um, Glenn at the, at the time was pursuing Denise's sister Myra so uh, he introduced us and uh, would you believe I actually had um, the good fortune to um, have Glenn Hansard who played who plays with the frames um, yeah. play a, a gig in my house um, and I invited Denise along to it um, and we, we, you know we just clicked 
um, I, I really, I really, you know, gravitated towards Denise's, you know, looks and personality, and, and um, we really got on, and and um, yeah, it kind of just took off from from there. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a lovely story, and as I said, even even my fiance was regaling, even when she met the two years, how you could just see see between the two years the relationship that you've had. Obviously, in two thousand eighteen, you would say that was probably a busy year. You're planning on getting married, and I suppose work was fairly busy for yourself. And you know, did it take a toll on you? I suppose two thousand and eighteen. Yeah, look, I, it was it was crazy, you know. Um, I mean, I'd always been. Um, as I've touched on, self-employed and coming out of kind of the the, the slump after the Celtic Tiger years, um, I was doing a lot of contracting um, and and trying to kind of scale the business and you know it's tough to do that. Um, I was building enterprise software applications and and then we decided to get married. Found a lovely lovely venue in in Italy, Borgo di Tregilata. I'll, and, I'll Google uh, that later on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really like saying that. And uh, and you know, like we were busy with that, but but I had I had this kind of you kind of set these, I guess, bookends in your life. You're nearly like I need to achieve this by the time I'm married, or yeah. you know, I need to achieve this by by this date. And I don't know why we do that, but I I kind of felt that I needed to kind of progress my business to, to a point by the stage we were married, and I was putting maybe undue pressure on myself to do that. So it was it was a very busy time anyway in the in the run up to the marriage. Not to take away from it, I mean I was really looking forward to it. I was exceptionally busy in in a lead up and after. Yeah, and I suppose you know that going forward, I suppose get, getting getting married is stressful for anybody. And like myself and Eber due to get married earlier on this year, and and with everything that has been going Excellent. on, we've knocked it back to to next year. To, uh, and please God, everything going well. We will uh, we'll eventually tie the knot, I suppose. I got 10 months grace, as I keep joking with people. Um, but knowing the timeline of your own journey, Kieran, I suppose, you know, 2019 might be described then following on from getting married as a honeymoon to hell. Given given the next period of your life or the next chapter of your life at that stage, I know your story, but for a lot of our listeners, they might not know your story. And I think that description of honeymoon to hell really sums up what what happened to you and Bozzy it would be great if you could give us an insight into those. We got married in May, May the eleventh. We got married and then we had um a little kind of a mini moon as Denise called. Oh we know that uh, phrase, yeah. It's been it's been pumped after out. After the wedding, you know. <laughs> and they said there's a mini moon, a honeymoon, a mega moon, oh, there's really? all sorts of oh, my God. Uh, this is this is what I'm told. But uh, you know, we went around um we had a little extended holiday in Rome and um, and then we kind of settled back into work for the rest of kind of 2018. And, uh, you know, I started another business venture um, with, with a pal of mine and we got accepted on, onto an accelerator program, um, which was very intense in the lead into Christmas. And I really just wasn't feeling well, you know. Um, people were saying to me that I didn't look well. Um, I felt like I could shake off one infection after another. Uh, I felt abnormally tired. Um, you know, I, I kind of had a strange taste in my mouth. I just felt like crap. And I went to the GP and, you know, we, we discussed it. And at the time, I, I was prescribed a course of antibiotics and um, steroids. And, you know, I took them. I was feeling a little bit better. And I, I 
got through the Christmas period, but he said, look, I think maybe we'll do your bloods in the, in the new year. But our honeymoon was planned for uh, start of January, so we, we set off on that and we flew around. We did South Africa and Safari and the Maldives, and it was absolutely beautiful. And for the most part, I actually felt pretty okay. Um, I mean, the energy levels were, were okay. I, I felt I might finally be shaking this thing off. But when we flew back, I'll never forget sitting on the plane. And I didn't say to Denise, but I thought to myself, I still don't feel a hundred percent. There's something here, and I just don't know what it is. But I'm, I have to get this looked into. When I came back on the on the came back on the Monday, I think, and on the Tuesday, I booked into um Charter Medical there in Smithfield for like as I call it an NCT, so a full kind of body check of where they yeah. do physical examination, your full bloods, and and they they you know you kind of have a consultation. I did that and. Um, I didn't tell I told Denise I didn't tell anyone else I was getting it done and I came back and I you know I, I was sitting uh, actually in a room I'm talking to you now from having a cup of tea and uh, literally two hours afterwards after I, I'd gone in or two three hours I, I got the call from the Matter Hospital they, they were like is this Karen Byrne I was like yeah uh, they were at this Matter Hospital I was like what like who like and, and I was Hell, actually yeah. they were ringing because my bloods had obviously gone to the laboratory yeah. there to be tested and they said, you need to come into A&E straight away. Um, and Jeez. I said, Jesus. So I hung the phone and Denise had overheard. She came in and I told her what had happened. We jumped in the car and, and on the way in, I started getting, and I, I wouldn't to that point have been quite a, an emotional person, but I started getting a little bit teary-eyed nearly. Um, yeah, this had never happened to me before. And we, we went into A&E and I, I, I said who I was and, they uh they just pulled me into a, a private room. We were waiting around maybe half an hour. I didn't have a clue what was going on. Um and then this gentleman came in who turned out to be my consultant. Um and he said, Look, Karen, how you been feeling? And I, I talked to him about it. I was a bit jovial with Denise. I, I thought he might have just said, I don't know, you, you, there, there's something minor here, but he said, Look, Karen, I'm I'm very sorry to say, but you you have leukemia. Um, and specifically acute myeloid leukemia AML um, and so you know I, th- I think at that moment um, I, I just broke down crying completely um, and Denise the same and I remember I just kept saying to Denise I'm sorry um, I think I felt really sorry that, that I'd, I'd done this to her nearly at that moment in time yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he said, look, you know, he asked the usual questions, you know. What does I, this mean? How long have I got yeah. doctor, you know? And he said, look, here on, you know, this is something that in, in, in three three weeks we could be talking about a life termination event. And he laughs because I say that to him now and he says, I never said that. Like, I never used that term, life termination event, but Denise is a witness. <laughs> but, uh, and I think I think when you go through something like that as well, and I think you you do remember specifically stuff at that time you that do. you you do yeah you 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 do and you know and and it's very clinical at that moment and it has to be you know they they can't they they have to tell you black and white what you're facing and and I respect that at that moment I didn't and I felt that he was being a bit um cold and 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 I didn't understand how. 
you know, uh, that this should be approached um, from a from a professional point of view. So I was like, God, you could have delivered that better type of thing. But I said, look, I, I want to go home and process this. And he said, oh, you can't go anywhere. You need to really? start chemotherapy straight away. You can't leave this hospital for the next month or so. Um, and we're going to have to, we're going to work it through to, to admit you upstairs to the oncology ward, hematology ward. And so I just, I, I started ringing my family um, and they all arrived. Um, well, I've, I've, my brother Andrew's in the States um, and Declan was, I think, in the UK. But the rest um, arrived within maybe an hour. Um, and Denise's brother arrived and, and we, we cried and hugged. And, you know, we were all just shell-shocked. Um, and and so, yeah, it, we, we, we kind of kicked all this off and... and, and you know, it was a whirlwind kind of a couple of hours for you when between getting the diagnosis and the information and the fact that you weren't going home as well um oh, you know like I, I didn't have you know a, like you, you don't have any witch no no before, no like, clean pair of jocks the next day no socks oh, yeah, nothing no, no, yeah no so uh like and, and your family leave and go home and, and then someone comes in they're like right we're just getting a bed for you and, and we're we're moving on to and i was like oh what 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 like I'm, I'm, i mean is that it and they're like yeah like we you know we, we have to start now karen this is this is something that if we don't catch uh right now i mean it, it progresses very very quickly to, when the sense that you know you, you can progress to it to a, a critical stage i guess very quickly so um yeah, so so that was it. Myself and Denise went. We we, we went upstairs onto the seventh floor, the Matter Public Hospital, and uh, I started texting people, letting them know. And 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 we from the word go, I was just like, look, I just want to be really open and honest and tell people what's going on here because they're gonna find out eventually. And that's the type of person I am. I kind of talk too much anyway, so. I yeah. just said, look, let, let's just do this, Denise, and, and we did. So we sat there for the night kind of into the early hours crying and, and kind of texting people and talking, and the, the ward was very quiet and kind of just, yeah. I suppose look, looking back on it now, it was, I suppose, it was a hard time, but at the same time it was nice that you had Denise there with you to, to have someone to lean on, I suppose. Uh, you know, it, it, it's huge, and, and you know, you, you see people, you think you know someone, and, and you see them in a different light in those moments, and, and even, you know, and, and Denise, I saw a, a strength of character in her in an instant, you know, and that I, I probably maybe hadn't seen before because I didn't need to see it, um, and she didn't need to display it, and and I saw a sense of love from from. Denise and from my family and from people that, that again we you know on a day-to-day basis we don't maybe display that often I know I don't but it was just it, it was incredible and, and you know and and it's kind of like a physical manifestation of that word love you know it just it just comes to the fore and, and you you actually see it and feel it and it's and it's incredibly powerful and and um and you know, it, it kind of sets the foundations for the road ahead. Yeah, because obviously the next three, four, five weeks were going to be crucial for you in terms of, you know, surviving and not or not yeah. surviving. And that was the stark reality of it, I suppose. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My, my, my uncle said to me at, at one stage, uh, you know, look, Karen, none of us are promised tomorrow. And 
and it's true and i i guess it's only now that i really i that i kind of something well you know i don't even sometimes comprehend how close i maybe came to you know my own mortality you know at the time i i i kind of maybe as a defense mechanism i laughed and joked and i i you know i didn't really reflect on it they said to me you know how much of this do you want to know in terms yeah. of the the, the the chemotherapy you're going to get and the treatment plan and i kind of just said i, I don't need to know that i can't yeah. control it it's not going to change anything for me i'm just going to worry about that side of things than when i don't need to because i don't have a choice yeah i suppose so, i suppose what else what helps with that situation i suppose as well is the fact that it's the sense of an autopilot kicks in that this is nothing that you can control any longer. It's a case of you have to give it over now to the people who are the experts, the medical people. And I suppose that's kind of, it can be reassuring because it takes away the responsibility in, in that sense and it protects you and you don't have to think about the mortality. You just have to do whatever these these guys are saying to you. Very much so. And, you know, I mean, uh, something that was really close to me and still is, is, is my faith. And, uh, you know, my father had a very deep faith and he instilled that in us. And, you know, at that moment, I, I could really feel uh, something bigger than all of us um, in the room lifting me and, and, and making me strong and giving me that strength. And I, I again, I could feel it. And I, and I, and I, I looked back not too long ago looking for a text message and I came across the text messages that I sent out to people and the car, you know, and WhatsApps and Instagram and that. And every one of the messages I sent was, uh, I'm going to be just, I feel really positive. You know, look, I'm very lucky that there's a treatment plan. I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to be fine. I've got this really bad uh, illness, but I'm going to be great. And I actually said, and I'm going to be out on the 23rd of April, the day of my birthday. And funny enough, that actually was exactly what happened. So, you know, I, I, from the word go, I just had this um, sense of, of strength and support and positivity. And I, I didn't drop that at any stage. I, I just looked and said, I'm going to beat this. And I, you know, and I, I just went at it. And actually what happens is that becomes self-fulfilling. Because, Absolutely, yeah. you, know, you know, not only do you start believing it, but it starts happening. And, and Denise talks about this word, uh, uh, this term manifesting, you know. Yeah, and, I've heard it. And I kind of get it, you know, because it, 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 there, there is more, you know, that, that, that happens than maybe we can label with a scientific term. Or that we understand. There's a lot out there that we don't understand. And, and sometimes the way things work, regardless of your faith or your understanding of the world, just things that we don't understand and some stuff that science doesn't doesn't can't understand at this moment in time. And maybe yeah. maybe it is, is, is a bigger power. I suppose... Going through all this, Kieran, and it's a traumatic experience for yourself, but luckily you've come out the other end. I suppose looking yeah. back on it, going through something like this doesn't happen in a, in a vacuum. You know, the illness yeah. is yours and you're going through this, and but you're also, you have a pair of eyes on you. You're looking out and how it's affecting the people around you. From your own point of view, how did you manage the effect of your illness on those around you? It's funny. I, I think that's one of the most difficult things because... You know, I I felt like I could take the bullets, you know, but to see those around me hurt, uh, that 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 really hurt. Um, to to see Denise sleeping on the, the floor of the hospital, my 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 
newlywed wife, you know, um, to, to, to know that my mom was sat home on her own, upset. Uh, you know, that, that really stung. Um, and, you know, I guess, again, there, there wasn't much I, I could do about that. But, you know, being in there, going through the treatment, um, yeah, I went through the treatment, but everybody, else and it's not just your family your friends too and i had a lot yeah. of my friends and they were very upset for for me and um you know um and ex- denise's family um uh, were were again very upset and, and they were fantastic and, and just to see all the people that that you affect by with your illness and and how much it hurts of them um that i won't lie i mean that was really tough to to, to look at you know i mean i i could take the kicks but it really hurt me to see other people taking them too. And that's something that, you know, they're your own scars you have to show and you have to bear on your on yourself. And a lot of that time you have to, when you're going, when going through something, I suppose, as hard as this and as difficult as this, you don't want to add on to those around you, how you're feeling about how it's affecting them. I suppose, you know, as you said yourself, you're a fairly chatty individual. You know, you'll probably chat to anybody walk by you on yeah. the street if they stop and, and give it a minute of your time. Do you think the power of conversation is underrated? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, and, and the Irish, I mean, you know, we're born to talk. Uh, it's funny. I used to go for walks around the ward in the, in the Matter Hospital. Um, not so much James's because I was in isolation, but in the Matter, going through my treatment, um, i go walking and I'd nearly see the nurses duck into the rooms, but I, I got to the stage because I was talking so much. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm busy. I need I to do I pop in, I say hello to their patients, I say hello to their people, and you know, I, I remember uh, when I was in school, an English teacher one time talking about conversation, and he said, you know, when you're walking by people, don't just say hello, say, you know, hello, how are you, hello, nice day, expand the conversation a little bit, you know, and uh, I love engaging with people, I, I, I find, like, no matter who that is, um, and, and I get huge benefit from it. And I try these days to listen more to, to other people, yeah. um, you know, to take on board as much as I'm giving out uh, in terms of my talking. Uh, and it's, it's fantastic, you know, and, and, and no matter race, sex or creed or everybody has a story to tell and everybody is going through this same life and, and, you know, the more we, we support and talk to each other, the easier it becomes. And it does. Absolutely. There's, there's no disadvantage from talking to people. Yeah, I think I, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways I've had from the situation we find ourselves in. I would have been a fairly, how would my parents best describe me, um, reluctant chatter when I was younger. But as I grew up and I developed kind of, um, I, and I started working in hospitality and I kind of found my my chatty side i suppose later in life and um I'm, I'm enjoying it now but i think as you said listening is also as important sometimes as, ch- as chatting and you know you never know who you're talking to or what a hello or a how are you or a, you know acknowledgements of somebody I, you know it's funny I, I i think i probably got it from my mother because she well she talks now so i've been in a room with her where we're talking and then i stop and I'm distracted, and she's still talking, and she doesn't realise she's having a conversation with herself. <laughs> and I'm like, 
you're actually answering your own questions. Like she will talk for like an eternity and she's got opinions and everything and she just loves it. And it's sad because in the current COVID world, you know, I pop into her, um, and I'm the only one allowed to pop into her. Um, my sister actually sometimes can pop in too, but, and she'll say to me, Karen, you might be the only person I've talked to today. Yeah. And, you know, and that's coming from a family where we're very close, and that doesn't happen that often. Most days, some of the family be on, but when I think about the people who don't have someone to talk to, I don't know that's that's soul destroying yeah it is it, it really is and i think it's come to the forefront in in the current times that we live in i suppose looking back and i suppose you're on the other side now of, of your your leukemia battle that period in your life um fighting leukemia coming through what you had to come through and all that it entails what did you learn about yeah. yourself as a person yeah the, you know i so, so the leukemia wrap with the not wrapped up. God, the, the leukemia journey kind of, I guess, end with the transplant, stem cell transplant that I, I received from my brother Jude, and and uh, and at that moment in time, it was kind of the first moment where I I was on my own because Denise and and Fisus weren't permitted as much. It's a very sensitive time for your recovery, and so I, I it kind of did give me that moment to reflect back in life, and there were a few different things that that I learned. You know, one, it, it definitely deepened my faith. And actually, I felt it connected me more to my father, um, who, you know, you have to remember, passed away when I was 12. Yeah. Um, I got a sense of what he went through because, you know, he passed away from cancer. And I felt like, you know, I I had I had won and maybe I'd gotten revenge on it, if, on the cancer, if that makes sense. I, You know, and I, I, I felt like I connected with him in, in that regard. I think I learned that, you know, I'd always put work uh, to the fore and, and, and at the detriment of maybe in the past of some relationships and friendships and, and moments in life that, you know, I, sh- I should have savoured more, um, be that holidays or family occasions. And what I came to realise was that all of us are dispensable to work. Um, and by that I mean, like, the work will go on when you're gone you know and you'd be amazed at how quickly it'll move on but your family won't move on you know and your friends won't move on and the people who love you won't move on you you know denise and so on and so you know you're not dispensable to them you're really really important to them and you know and, and we don't appreciate that enough and it's funny myself and denise only went for a walk there yesterday and, and denise gone about how busy she is and how busy you know i was talking I said, Denise, the most important part of your day is right now walking with me. I said, in this memory, I said, the work isn't the important part. And, mm. and we forget that sometimes. Oh, we're all totally, totally um, guilty of not staying in the present. I think the lockdown gave a lot of people a perspective of the present and um, we all enjoyed the novelty of it. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it has waned. But I know personally, my own personal circumstances, that... I was like yourself, I was working, I had missed weddings, I was supposed to be at certain special events and, and work was, was, was hard and was busy and, you know, I prioritised that and I felt, you know, and those around me could see me changing as a person as the work got on top of me and and when I left that job, I was a completely different person and I felt a lot of people said we have the peers back to, of old and I think yeah. staying in the present and having that mindset and, and looking and trying to enjoy be it a walk on Port Marnock Strand, 
a disaster with someone putting the blender on in the kitchen and the soup going all up the wall. You know, they're the funny stories that you'll look back at yeah. and you'll have, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, and, and you know, a lot of people have got a sense of that with COVID, a, a kind of the ability to reassess their priorities without having to go through the, the, the horrible stuff that I went through. You know, and I said that to my brothers and my sisters. I said, you know, you, you've got that moment to reassess and, and lucky for you, you didn't need to go through cancer to realise that you know you're you're happy and healthy and and it's giving you a different perspective on life but but we just we, we really do get our priorities wrong in life you know like today i've got lots of different things on but probably the most important part of my day today would be the one hour i spend on my bike and in my little gym doing my exercise apart from spending you know time with the knees and that but but the one activity that's in my diary as such yeah. and in the past i would have been no well i have to get this project and i have to do this and then at the end of the day somewhere i'll fit that in you know and 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 so the the big thing about the, the about leukemia was it, it it enabled me to reassess just what's important in life um and 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 it's those things that i mentioned yeah i suppose then obviously you had the transplant and then you were probably looking at 2020 to be a brilliant year. Um, yeah, I've got the kitchen pass to do whatever I want. Absolutely. You know, nothing. I've come through AML and I've, you know, come out the other side and, you know, 2020 yeah. is going to be my year. I'm going to travel. I'm going to do everything I want to do. With the, and, you know, you got a new lease of life and then, boom, March came along and, and we were down in lockdown. And I suppose, I think you became very vocal and, and you know, your perspective and your your viewpoint was quite strong in terms of how people weren't taking this too seriously at the start and it developed yeah, yeah i mean you know look i i often say to denise if, if you don't stand for something you stand for nothing um and i you know that's that's a, a contradiction in itself but what i mean by that is that too many of us are afraid to have an opinion on something in, in this day and age um, and the only ones who tend to have opinions tend to be people who are more radical views. Um, you know, uh, I don't mind mentioning like anti-maskers, for example. And you know, um, and and so these these people kind of beat their chests or beat their drums and march down our streets, and and we're afraid to kind of give a, a counter opinion, and we kind of say, ah, don't don't say anything, don't, you know, and. And you know what? A lot of things in life, I, I do have an opinion on, and I'm not afraid to share them. And you know, I I felt that after that moment in time, that there was maybe a, a seriousness in COVID that we hadn't quite grasped, and and an urgency to kind of get our house in order. And and I felt that you know I had an opinion on it, um, and a platform to to maybe help some others, you know, see sense and maybe their actions. I, I think as this has he fought, like I, I'm not going to say I'm right on everything, um, and my mother will laugh because she says <laughs> you always think you're right on everything. But I feel that as this has evolved, um, um, we've 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 all needed to adapt in different ways, and some of the things I've said might be proven to be wrong, or some of the things might be right. And you know, it is something that is evolving. Really, all I was trying to do was show support to a national plan to get through this, um, regardless of if maybe one or two elements of that are, are incorrect. I think inaction is worse than, than, than no action. Uh, inaction is worse than taking action and making the odd mistake. Exactly. You know? And I think, you know, you know, as you said, this, this 
virus is ever developing and given the information at the time you make an informative opinion and, and you do what you think is right and if coming down the line and with more information things change then you know uh, as long as you don't get dug into that and get entrenched in that exactly. situation you can reflect and, and change your approach but i think Absolutely. i think what you what, the way you were communicating was is you know it's a case of we all don't we all live in a society we're a small island and what we might do or how it might affect us now might necessarily you know be bad for us but the knock-on effect on someone else in society who might might not be as strong or as resilient as you are yeah will be bigger yeah i mean you know i i had a lot of people contact me privately uh, who were in that situation and they said thank you for giving us a voice um, I, I've been fortunate to have formed some very deep friendships with people who went through what I went through and people who are going through what I went through and, and other similar types of or other illnesses or, 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 or you know hurdles in their life um, and I've been very fortunate to form friendships with these people and I felt the, the need to stick up my, my hand and say hey look you know I have an opinion on this and uh, you know it's, I'm, it's important that it's, that it's heard and um, you know, and, and and I guess that that's that's what I was doing, and that's what I'll continue to do. And and you know, and I think it's an, that, and I think it's important because, as we said earlier on, you're you're a chatty individual, so that might give you a bit more confidence to speak on behalf of people who, you know, might not be as confident to say, you know, what I agree with you, Karen, but I'm I'm not going to put my hand up, and I'm not going to uh, put my head above the parapet yeah. and get the kickback because they might not be as strong, you know, or resilient well, yeah, as look, you. There, there, there's, absolutely, there's there's personalities. Some people are more introverted. I'm probably more extroverted. You're absolutely right. You know, I mean, not 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 everybody uh, has the inclination or, or the ability to, to to do that. Yeah. I suppose looking now, I suppose we're we're coming into the once Chris, uh, once Halloween is over, we're looking into Christmas and and twenty twenty one and the news and the pos positivity about a vaccine coming towards the end of the year and maybe into the next year and please God, there's the developments with the pharmaceutical companies on that. But looking at a post COVID nineteen world and and the post COVID nineteen Ireland, what would you most like to achieve in the next chapter of your life? God, that's that's a that's an interesting question. Um, so so I was in recently for my checkup with my uh, with with my consultant, um, and she was she was talking to me. Um, we were chatting about things, and you know, she was like, "You you doing great?" And we were looking at my my hair, and I was going, "God, it's 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 a bit slow coming back." And I said, "I feel so kind of shallow saying that." And she said, "No," she said, "You know what, Kieran?" She said. What happens is when you when you get ill, you kind of say, "I'm lucky to be alive," um, in the early days of this. She said, "But now you've progressed. You've moved on to where you're saying where you want the other things that that people want in their everyday lives. You know, be that I wish my hair was a little bit thicker, or you know, I need to lose a bit of weight." And and so, I th I thought that was a lovely and way of of kind of expressing the the point that I'm I'm ready to put behind me and and you know what 2018 2019 you know what it represented or, or what i went through i don't feel the need to hold on to it moving forward you know myself and denise have a family plan um i mean if we're if we're lucky to have children i think that would be um where i'd, I'd see the next chapter of my life you know moving into i think that I've certainly changed my approach to my work-life balance. I hope I can keep that up. 
um, and and just you know invest in in my in my marriage with Denise and my family and and my my friendships and I'm very positive and optimistic that this is all going to end soon. Um, I'm a big believer in, in science and in vaccinations. Um, and I believe that we're going to get back to a normal life. And I think the world might be a better place for it. I, I, I like everybody else, I have the same dreams now. I've, I've moved on from saying I'm lucky to be alive. And now I'm, I'm kind of a little bit more, I want the things that everybody else wants. And I say that in a really positive, you know, way. So, uh, so yeah, looking forward to twenty twenty one. And me too. I think that's a really positive, and you know, it's it's probably the simple things in life that we we, we need to look at and achieve those in the next next year, I suppose. Um, Kieran, thanks for joining me here on the Big Nose uh, podcast. I suppose my big nose was stuck into all your business today, and I appreciate <laughs> you uh, giving your time across, and um, I wish you the very best of health for 2021 and and onwards and to you and your family as well thanks for joining me you you too Paris thank you